This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. On the show, we have Paul Steinhauser, a political reporter for Fox News, who will tell you everything you need to know about the state of play in the all-important New Hampshire primary. And I'll explore the history of this First the Nation campaign contest and talk about the lengths the Granite State goes to make sure they are always the first presidential primary state. And now, the Nexus. Paul Steinhauser is a reporter for Fox News based in New Hampshire, and his main beat is the 2020 presidential campaign. He can be heard each weekday morning on the radio show New Hampshire Today with Jack Heath and co-hosts on background on nhtalkradio.com. I keep up on the politics of this crucial swing state by reading Paul's newsletter, The 603, every Saturday morning. Paul Steinhauser, welcome to the Nexus. And Art, thank you for reading uh, reading The 603 every Saturday morning. I appreciate that. Uh, every, I wake up to it in my inbox, and it's it's great for everyone, for everything <laughs> about uh, New Hampshire. It's short, sweet, and to the point. So it's... Uh, I, I get everything I need. But um, with that plug in mind, I would love to hear, since you were on the ground there, what is the state of play with the campaign in New Hampshire right now? Yeah, there's just like in Iowa, there's a top tier of contenders, four of them. That's what the latest polling here indicates. And those top four are the former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren from neighboring Massachusetts, Senator Bernie Sanders from neighboring Vermont. And remember, Sanders won big here four years ago in the Democratic presidential primary, crushing Hillary Clinton. And the fourth member, just joining in the last couple of weeks of that top tier, is South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, who's really soared in polling both in Iowa and here in New Hampshire since that debate performance a month ago in that showdown in Iowa, I mean, in Ohio. Those four candidates also have the largest staffs on the ground here, the, the kind of the biggest grassroots outreach organizations in art. As you know, that's so crucial here in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, like Iowa, it's all about grassroots campaigning, retail, town halls, house parties, uh, going to diners and restaurants, uh, uh, and, and even breweries and talking with the voters. That's what really wins it here in a small state like New Hampshire. It's less about the advertising and the TV ads and more about that grassroots campaigning. I mean, what's your... As of now, I know this is, is a flexible, fluid kind of situation. As of right now, is Mayor Pete in the lead, in your mind? No, I wouldn't say he's in the lead. The latest poll here did indicate him 10 points ahead of everybody else. That's just one poll, and it only sampled about, what, 300 uh, likely Democratic primary voters here in New Hampshire. If you take, like, the last three or four polls and you average them out, it's, it's a pretty close race with maybe Warren a point or two ahead of Biden, Buttigieg, and, and Sanders right there as well. So, all within the sampling era, the margin of error for these surveys. Here's the other thing about New Hampshire. Traditionally, New Hampshire voters are late deciders. And the, the latest polling really reflects that. If you look at these last three or four polls here in the state, uh, they are, uh, about 10 or 15% are still truly undecided. But a majority of those who said they're now backing one candidate or another, well, they say that they're that they definitely could change their minds. We still got two and a half months to go until the primary here in uh, on February 11th. So that's been determined, right? I mean, last I had checked, um, it, they were still hadn't really set a date. It's absolutely on February 11th at this point. 
Nope. Uh, good point. Uh, our Secretary of State here, Bill Gardner, he always has the last, the final word. Uh, and he will get that word uh, on Monday, on Monday. So we're, we're recording this on a, on a Friday, and he will decide or make that announcement on Monday. This cycle, though, there's really been no threats to New Hampshire, and that's very different than in past cycles. If you remember in the 2008 cycle and in the 2012 cycle, Gardner moved up the date of the primary because of threats from other states. That's why New Hampshire voted right after Iowa, as it always does, but right after the new year. Uh, this time around, it looks like we'll be February 11th. It looks like uh, the calendar will hold. Why did the other states back off? Do they not care as much, or what, what changed the dynamic? Oh, I'm sure other states uh, do care, uh, uh, but uh, for, for whatever reason, there were really no major threats to New Hampshire or Iowa from any other states this time around. That's the second cycle in a row where we really haven't seen any other states try to rock the boat. Uh, so it looks like Iowa goes on February 3rd. Uh, then eight days later, as is customary, New Hampshire will go. And then later in the month, we'll see Nevada. And then finally, at the end of February, South Carolina. Uh, and South Carolina votes uh, just a few days before the onslaught, where you have 14 states, a whopping 14 states, including some huge ones like Texas and California, voting on Super Tuesday, which I believe is March 3rd. Right. Um, so it's interesting. I want to go back to Mayor Pete for a second, because I mm-hmm. feel like, uh, and since you're you're right there and you're you're in the thick of it, I, I feel like there's almost a counter narrative that's going on with with some of the national press that is not there, but it's almost projecting something that's happening. Meaning, uh, there's obviously the Pete Boomlet, you know, the, the he, there's he has a very good media machine and he um, has his his surrogates out there saying how much he's surging, even if he necessarily isn't. At times, I'm just wondering if they're trying to make the perception so much the reality with him at this point. Well, he he is moving. Listen, I'm just disputing whether he's truly ten points ahead of everybody else here in New Hampshire. I think it's smarter to kind of average it, but he is definitely he's soared. He was remember the beginning of this year, he was the longest of long shots. I remember the first time I interviewed him, which was way back in. Uh, I think in January or early February, it was a phone interview, and then interviewed him again when he made his first trip up here a few weeks later. And boy, I mean, nice guy, extremely uh, well spoken, incredibly smart. But but again, you know, the longest of long shots. But he surged in in the late spring and went from a long shot to a middle tier candidate. And he's he's definitely surged again now, just in the last month or two. And he is a top tier contender here, no doubt about that. When you go to his events here. The crowds are pretty large, and it's not just in the last month or two. He's been seeing some big crowds really since the summer. I remember it was in uh, June or July when I witnessed about a 1,000 people for Buttigieg, and I knew he was for real. He's still getting those crowds. I think he got about 1,500 uh, in his uh, last trip here, uh, which is, for New Hampshire, very, very large. Uh, so, you know, it's true. He, he is definitely booming here. Uh, and people get, are very impressed. When you talk to voters after they, they've seen him in person, they're extremely impressed. And what about, um, I guess another converse narrative is if Pete is, is surging, a lot of times I'm hearing that Vice President Biden might be receding, even though the poll numbers don't seem to be reflecting that. What, what's your sense of the forward or backward momentum of the Biden campaign? It's does he plateaued? Maybe that's a better word to use. He was the clear front runner, the unrivaled front runner from even before he jumped in the race in late April. He's not that anymore. He still has the lead in national polling, 
national polling not really as important as the early vote, the early voting state polls. Uh, and he has that lead, I think, still in part because of his name recognition. Uh, here in New Hampshire, his events are smaller, right? He doesn't hold those huge rallies. He holds more intimate events where he gets a couple hundred people, anywhere from like a hundred to three or four hundred. Um, and he's not up here as much, but, but he, uh, as some of the other candidates, but he does spend a good amount of time here in New, in New Hampshire. He's got a, a, a very formidable staff on the ground here, as does Buttigieg, as does Sanders and Warren. They're really the top four when it comes to staff size and, and power. Um, Here's one thing to remember about Joe Biden, though. Right now, when it comes to the Democratic primary electorate, it's more about the progressive base. They're the ones with all the energy right now. But when it comes down to voting on February in February, it's a much larger electorate. And New Hampshire is one of only 24 states in the country that allows independents to vote in one primary or another. So you would expect that most of those independents, and they're about 40 percent of the electorate here, will go to the Democratic side because that's where most of the action is. Uh, and so I think the electorate will be a little bit more moderate than what we're seeing right now. That'll benefit a Joe Biden, no doubt about that. Hmm, that's interesting. It's, um, I think that that is actually kind of fascinating. And um, one last thing on the Biden thing is, is his alleged lack of money mattering? Do you see any evidence of that? Yeah, I mean, not so much here as in other states where they're like Iowa, where the more ads are going up. But yeah, if he had more money, uh, guess what? He'd be running ads in this state, which he really isn't doing right now. We haven't seen a lot of ads here in the state other than Tom Steyer, who's been flooding the airwaves uh, since he jumped into the race back in July. But yeah, of course, Biden, Biden's fundraising has been a national story, and, and rightfully so. He's the former vice president. He should be raising more money than he has been. That's one of the reasons why now there's a super PAC that just formed. Uh, and we'll likely be going up with ads in Iowa very soon to try to help out and level the playing field. One other thing with Biden, I will say this about his voters. They're less the energetic type that go to the events and really go crazy about this. You know, the Biden voter is more of a person who's really not 100% plugged in. Politics is not really an activist, but it's somebody who just wants to beat Donald Trump and thinks that Joe Biden is the way to go. And while those voters may not show up a lot at the events, uh, they do show up on primary day. Hmm. And is it really true that almost all citizens in New Hampshire wind up meeting the presidential candidates sometimes multiple times? Uh, maybe not all of them, but, you know, if you go to the events, yeah, you get to meet them. I mean, it's up to the voter. If they want to spend a couple hours on a, in a, in a, on a weekday evening or on a weekend, uh, you can definitely meet all the candidates, not once, but that's always the joke up here that, you know, you haven't really decided until you meet the candidates two or three or four times. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just what New Hampshire and I was pretty much the same way. It's a little bit, a bit of a bigger state, but it's pretty much the same way. You know, it's all about retail politics. It's about going to your friend's house party because uh, Amy Klobuchar is there or going to a town hall at your, your, your local town hall. Uh, that's New Hampshire. And it's, it's something that, you know, New Hampshire citizens take very, they take their job of winnowing the field very, very seriously. New Hampshire often doesn't pick the winner in, uh, who's going to go on to the White House, but it does take that large field of candidates and it helps winnow it down. And we've talked about a few of the candidates, but who is the candidate who might break out? Does anybody have that chance to do so? Yeah, and before I say that, let's just also remember that, you know, Warren and, 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 uh, Sanders are extremely well known here. They're from the neighboring states. You know, Sanders came into this race with a huge uh, body of support already from, from his uh, backers from 2016. 
Warren, extremely well known here, has come up here so many times over the years to campaign for fellow Democrats in the state. And yes, you know, Boston TV, where most of our, most of the New Hampshire, at least the most populated parts are all the Boston media market. So she's well known. Okay. So you got those two. We've talked about Biden, obviously, and we've talked about Buttigieg. Two others, uh, as I speak to you, I just, uh, covered and interviewed Amy Klobuchar, who's starting to generate a little more strength here too. She's making, she's building up her staff in this state. Uh, she's definitely gotten a boost from her last two debate performances. And then one other, Cory Booker also had a uh, well-received, at least that's what the national pundits are saying, debate performance, uh, this, uh, this past debate. He's been here a lot. Booker has been here a ton. He's built up a pretty strong staff in the state and he's very well liked here. And when you go to a Booker event, I mean, let's be honest, hands down, he's the best orator in the field of Democrats. And you talk to voters after they see him and they're very, very impressed. So he's also somebody, since he's put a lot of time, effort into the state and built up a pretty good structure, that if he catches lightning in a bottle, he'll be able to capitalize on that here in the state. And finally, uh, yeah, Andrew Yang is getting big crowds here as well. And he's also beefed up his staff here. Andrew Yang is a fascinating person, uh, along with Buttigieg. The longest of long shots. I remember the first time I interviewed him a year and a half ago during his first trip here. Uh, nobody knew him. And now Andrew Yang, everybody knows. I mean, let's let's talk about Amy Klobuchar a little bit more. Um, despite the scandal with allegedly throwing things at her staff, uh, she seems to be gaining ground, as you've said. I, I mean, does she have a chance? Is she well-funded? Is, is there any, you know, electricity about her beyond... This week, I mean, has that has things been growing with her? Yeah, I think. I mean, she had a pretty strong debate back in October. She raised a good amount of money after that, uh, and she just had another repeat performance uh, this week. With this week's debate, you know, she's running. She's definitely one of the more centrist or more moderate uh, candidates. Um, That's why you've seen her really go after Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, especially over for over Medicare for all. I mean, her hope, like some of the others, like a Buttigieg, is that if Joe Biden falters, you know. She'll be, or, or Buttigieg will be the one to kind of, kind of uh, grab those kind of voters in the more moderate center left, I guess you could say, lane of of, of the Democratic primary. Uh, she's very likable. She's very personable with voters. She's very funny with voters. Uh, uh, I mean, one voter uh, today told me she was on the fence, but now she's supporting Klobuchar because she's just a regular person like you or me. That's what this voter said. A couple of names I don't hear you mentioning at all. Kamala Harris is one, um, and I guess there's also um, Julian Castro. Are these folks non-entities? Tulsi Gabbard, I mean, are they not, not catching fire at all? Well, let's start with Gabbard. Actually, she's, she does pretty well here. Uh, she's in the mid-single digits, so she's after that top tier of candidates, but she's, uh, she polls pretty well here, you know, anywhere from about 4 to 6%. Uh, I've seen her a bunch of times on the campaign trail at house parties and other events. Uh, she's got a unique but definitely strong, su- strong supporters. Definitely unique, though, not your typical uh, Democratic primary voters. So she's doing OK. And she's got billboards. Over. Fascinating. She, she put up this was months, months ago. She put up billboards all over the state, large billboards. That's where she spent her money doing the billboards rather than putting up the staff. She really doesn't have much of a staff here, but she was campaigning by billboard. Uh, as for Harris. Uh, remember, she started out back, and I remember her first trip here in February. She had a 1,500 people at an event in Portsmouth, which was to almost to date the largest event here in the state. But she didn't visit a lot. She did put together a good staff here. But as we all know, a few weeks ago, she basically shuttered her entire operation here. You know, she was spending more money than she was bringing in. 
and the reality was she couldn't do everything, so she shuttered her operation here and uh, is emphasizing now, uh, obviously, Iowa. So she's basically a non-entity now here in New Hampshire. Castro did the same thing. He was also facing – Castro had been here a lot earlier this year and last year as well, but he basically – shuttered his entire operation here, which was not that big. I mean, he only had about two or three people here on staff now to concentrate on uh, Iowa and Nevada and his home state of Texas, which votes on Super Tuesday. Let me ask one last thing. Um, What would you say for members of, you know, citizens in New Hampshire are the two or three top issues that people are actually going to vote on? You know, we're, we're a lot like uh, other states. Uh, you know, health care is a big issue for Democratic primary voters here. Um, uh, and the, the economy and jobs, just like, like elsewhere, uh, is important. Uh, you know, one thing that maybe differentiates us from other parts, some other parts of the country, is the opioid epidemic, which uh, uh, you hear often at events here. That, that's been something that the state has really been coping with over the last six or seven years. Um, but, but, you know, New Hampshire voters are very much like, uh, voters, uh, across the nation. And New Hampshire, like Iowa, is, is a playground for the candidates. This is where they come. And they come here, obviously, to talk to Granite State voters and to try to convince them to vote for them. But also, you know, now, you know, people across the country get to see these candidates through the television lens covering these candidates here in New Hampshire and in Iowa. So when they come here, they're definitely talking to a Granite State crowd, but they're also talking to voters all across the country. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and do you, I know I said that was the last thing. I do have one thing that came out of that. There has been a sense, though, that because New Hampshire is very white, that it may not be predictive of other primaries in the country. Do you think there's any credence to that? Listen, this has come up every cycle for generations, every four years, right? Uh, New Hampshire and Iowa, two of the most uh, Caucasian states in the country. Why did they go first? That's one of the reasons, you know, Nevada was added to the equation, uh, in, you know, uh, a couple cycles ago. Uh, and when you ask the candidates about this, they say, well, if you look at all four early states in totality, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, you do get a much better representation of the country, urban areas, uh, suburban areas, uh, the, uh, and rural areas. And you also get, um, you know, uh, a, d- a diversity if you add all four together because you get the, um, you get Nevada, which has a much large, a large and vibrant Latino population. And of course, South Carolina, where uh, black voters make up more than half the Democratic presidential primary electorate. So that's what the candidates say when you, if you add all four together. Got it. Well, you can find Paul Steinhauser on the Fox News channel, Fox News Online, Fox Business News, and subscribe to the newsletter, the 603 on the web. Paul, thank you for joining me today in the Nexus. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. We will be right back. It's only a little over two months away until the New Hampshire primary, which, as Paul mentioned, is the first in the nation. But did you know how complicated the history of this primary really is? The state has held a primary there since 1916, but the action and significance of this contest really didn't begin happening until 1952. And right off the bat, strange things came to life in the New Hampshire primary. Estes Kefauver defeated incumbent President Harry Truman by 11 points, causing Truman to not run for a second full term in office. The other president to be forced out of the race because of New Hampshire was Lyndon Johnson. President Johnson won the primary by only seven points, 
prompting Bobby Kennedy, who smelled blood in the water, to get into the race days later. Johnson would shock the country weeks later by going on national television to say, I shall not seek and will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. It's peculiar to me that New Hampshire has such prominence for a lot of reasons. Paul and I touched on the homogenous racial makeup of the state, which more than ever can't be considered representative of America. But the bigger thing is that for a state that literally has a law mandating that New Hampshire holds its primary earlier than any other state, they often get it wrong. They get it wrong a lot. How often, you ask? Try this. Just in modern times, you have Henry Cabot Lodge in 1964 winning the primary and not winning the nomination. Pat Buchanan, remember him, won in 1996 of all things. John McCain defeated George W. Bush in 2000. Paul Songus beat Bill Clinton in 1992. Hillary Clinton over Barack Obama in 2008. And Bernie Sanders won in 2016. And as you know, Clinton, Bush, and Obama would go on to win the presidencies those times. So it seems to me like the voters of New Hampshire really didn't have their finger on the pulse of the race. Or maybe they did and just didn't care. Maybe they voted for who they liked, regardless of whether they were poised to win overall. The primary is pretty quirky. The hamlet of Dixville Notch always opens its polling place in the ballroom of the Grand Resort Hotel at midnight, where the town's handful of voters turn out to cast their ballots. That's always reminded me of the Stratford Inn on the 1980s show Newhart, even though that was located in Vermont. But I digress. New Hampshire clings to its first-the-nation status like gum clings to the bottom of your shoe. The Secretary of State of New Hampshire is empowered to change the date to ensure that its primary will take place before any, quote, similar election in any other state. Iowa is not considered a similar election. This race to be first has caused many comical scenarios over the years. The primary was originally on the second Tuesday in March in the 1950s and 60s, then moved up to the first week in March, and then the fourth Tuesday in February, then the third Tuesday in February, then the first Tuesday, and finally this insanity peaked with the New Hampshire primary happening on January 8th, 2008, and then January 10th, 2012. This week will be February 11th, so some reason is prevailing. Why did all those shifts occur? Because being able to influence the race is a big deal to states. California used to be last for decades, but by June in a primary year, the races were almost always decided as brokered conventions became a thing of the past. Now California is way earlier, March 3rd to be exact, on what's known as Super Tuesday, when 13 states plus American Samoa will vote. With its treasure trove of delegates, California could be a king or queen maker this go-round. But make no mistake, if California wanted to hold their primary February 1st, New Hampshire would snap into action like a jungle cat and move up the date of its primary to January 25th or earlier. And that's why every four years, presidential candidates virtually take up residence in New Hampshire. The eyes of the nation are watching, regardless of whether the state's voters get it right or not. I don't want to be that provincial person who says if New Hampshire isn't first in the nation anymore, what else do they have going for them as a state? Uh, I'm not that person. The Granite State is small but beautiful, 
And I've spent time this year in Manchester, Concord, Londonderry, and even drove past the few miles of Atlantic Ocean coastline. I have a decorative cheese board shaped like the state of New Hampshire in my home. I would still love the place even if its collective ego is ever bruised by somehow, some way, losing its status as first in the nation. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and produced by Colin Martin. Production assistance by Ian Heald. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide and leave a rating too. Happy Thanksgiving and be well.